0: But um, turn over in your, your Bibles to Matthew chapter five this morning, and uh, we're just going to touch on this lightly this morning. This is probably going to be—I always say this—but I think this morning it's going to have to be one of the shortest messages I've ever preached. So, if, it's, if you're visiting here, usually it's not this light. But uh, so, I'll come back next week. Hopefully, I'll be better. But last week we we looked a little bit at this section of Scripture in Matthew five, and. Um, uh, Matthew 5 uh, beginning in in verse uh, 27 and we looked at 27 through 30. And I just want to read that for us and then kind of continue on into our text for today. In verse 27 he says you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not commit adultery but I say to you that whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your right eye he begins a new subject here. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said that it was said those uh, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven. For it is God's throne, nor by earth, uh, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now, uh, you're probably wondering, wow, that's kind of a lot to, to look at. Um, We're we're not going to go into this in depth this morning, and uh, we're going to kind of take a cursory view of what Jesus is saying in verses 31 through 37. And uh, uh, last week, we looked at this idea of committing adultery in our hearts, and somebody said, boy, you really hit the guy's heart. Well, you know, it seems that men deal with lust a little more than women. Not that women don't deal with lust, they they do, but... um, as we talked about last week, it's, it's through the eye gate. A lot of things happen for, for men, and, and so we have to guard that. And we kind of laid out a simple little thing. We have to be willing to flee from that. We have to be willing to, to cut it out, just stop it, going to those places or looking at things that would rouse up those lustful thoughts. And then I think also we have to guard our hearts and be aware of that, that that we're prone to that. That's just the way it is. That's why, you know, when you watch the Super Bowl, some of the... the uh, by the way, did, uh, the Giants won, right? I just, just clarify that. Yes, <laughs> I don't really care who won, but I just thought I'd throw that out there for those of you that. But you know, when you look at those commercials, you know, there's a certain sensuality to some of those commercials, and the reason is just because that sells, that 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 attracts, um, you know, the eye, uh, usually of the male, and uh, you know that's just the way it is. Well, here when, when Jesus was talking about that, he was talking hear about men who thought if they didn't come out, go out and commit the act of adultery, literally, physically, with another man's woman or whatever, then they were off the hook. And he said, no, no, bring it back. What's in your heart? Even if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already. You don't have to go through the act. You've already done it in your heart. And so you stop and you think about that. And as men, you go, man, do I need the grace of God? You know, And, and, and we, we cry out for that probably on a daily basis, a lot of us. But... The, the The key here is that jesus wasn 't saying literally, "Pluck your eye out or cut off your hand or whatever, because, as we talked about last week, a blind man can lust just as easy as a man that can see okay He was talking about things that stand in the way things that that kind of lead you down that path, get rid of them, whatever it is um, if you 're looking at something or if you're if you 're going in a certain direction or whatever it is I, I remember I had a friend one time that Mentioned to me that uh, uh, we were going to go get a coke or something, and and he said, oh, you know, and I said, well, let's just go down here to the the store down here on the corner. And I remember saying to me, I don't go in there. I'm like, why? I've never been in there. It's just, you know, it's a liquor store here. It's the closest place. That's how they have magazines behind the counter. I just can't deal with that. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. You know, here's a guy that's going out of his way to not put himself in harm's way, to cause that thought to be a lustful thought that would, would sin against God. And, uh, you know, the minute we think that we can handle that stuff, that's when we fall, the Bible says. And so Jesus was very clear here. He was talking about their heart. He was looking at what's on the inside, and that's what his whole thing is, is in this whole section. He's talking about anger. It's anger in the heart. It's you, just because you go out and you don't physically murder somebody, you can have enough anger in your heart to, to literally murder somebody, and that's just as bad. And so he talked about murder, he talked about adultery, and then he comes to verses 31 and 32 and he talks about divorce. Now, this is kind of an interesting area because uh, here he begins this, this subject, and I think that he continues it if you turn over to Matthew 19. And that's why I said we're kind of going to do a cursory view of this today, and when we get to Matthew 19, which will be some time probably, um, once again. He, he goes into this whole thing about um, uh, divorce. And uh, he talks about instructions about divorce in, in verses 1 through um, through 15. And let me just read that for you, just to give you a little backdrop of, of what Jesus is going to say uh, when he does get there. Uh, verse, 19, verse 1 of chapter 19, Matthew, Now it came to pass... When Jesus had finished these sayings that he had de- that departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and a great multitude followed him and he healed them there and the Pharisees also came to him testing him and saying to him is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And they were kind of wanting to trick him here. And he answered and he said to them have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said for this reason a man shall cleave to his uh, shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God hath joined together, let uh, not man separate. And then they, they go on there in verse 7. Well, why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? Why did he do this? Verse uh, 8. He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But for from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you that who, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her, who is divorced, commits adultery. And his disciples said to him, If such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those who has, who, who, to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus in their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs uh, for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Then little children were brought to him, and, and kind of goes on from there. But the important thing there in, in, in 19, he confirms that, hey, this is not the norm. This is not what God intended. Um, and he begins to address this problem and it's the same problem that they had with murder it's the same problem they had with adultery they were looking at divorce and they were saying okay well you know what Moses allowed this to happen he said if we got a certificate of divorce for any kind of indecent um, reason that's okay and we can can kind of go on with life and everything's happy Um, now in the Bible, it doesn't necessarily say that. If you turn back to um, Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy 24. And I just want to touch on this today and then kind of look at the broader aspect, I think, of what Jesus is teaching here. It's not so much an in-depth teaching on divorce and remarriage. He's, he's teaching more about, you know, keeping your commitment, keeping your vow. Uh, and he even goes on about taking oaths. And so we want to look at that. But he, he covers the the uh, law concerning divorce in, in Deuteronomy 24. And if you look at um, Deuteronomy 24, beginning there in, in verse 1, it says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, this poor gal is just not picking the right husbands, I guess, uh, and puts it in her hand, and then sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies, who took her as his wife, then her former husband, who divorced her, must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For this is abomination before the Lord, and you, shall not, and you shall bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now, what they did is they took that section of Scripture, these legalistic religious people of the, the, the day, and they began to look at their wives and say, Hey, you know what, honey, you put too much salt in my meat tonight. Here's your certificate of divorce. Next. And they thought that was okay. Or, wow, you didn't make the bed this morning. Here's your certificate of divorce. I mean, it's, it, it sounds crazy to us, but that's how simple they made this, this divorce issue. Basically, if you got the certificate of divorce, that's all there was. And it became a rampant problem in, in that time. And so Jesus was addressing that. And you notice in Deuteronomy, it doesn't say that it's okay to get a divorce. Matter of fact, that's not even really what he is, the subject matter is there. He's basically trying to help the woman who is divorced from the, the situation and saying, hey, you know, if you get divorced a second time and, and this kind of thing, he's setting up kind of a, a safety for, for that person so that this abuse would not continue. Because that's what it was. It was a, a low view of marriage that brought him to this point. And you stop and you think, yeah, on to that, back then, in, in that day and age, um, women had no legal rights at all. And so even though their, their vows were similar to ours, um, the groom would make this lifelong commitment to his bride, but you know what, if, if he felt it breaking at any time and just said, hey, you know what, I don't want this anymore, here's your certificate of divorce, that's how easy it was. And the law, basically, of the day, said that if a man found anything displeasing about his wife, anything indecent was the word that was used, Um, he could free himself from her, his lifelong commitment to her um, by simply giving her this certificate of divorce. And uh, he would be free from any other obligation to her. And so it kind of came out of that verse in Deuteronomy, but they abused it. And if you stop and you think today, I mean, we can't look too far out in our society to realize that there's not a high value put on marital oaths. You know, there's just not. It's it's not something that is um, valued today. And, you know, you have all these kind of ways of possibly getting out of a commitment that you're willing to make on that day and then down the road, it's like, well, you know, if this doesn't work out. And, and we were always second-guessing ourselves. And see, it comes back to having, I believe, a proper view of marriage in the beginning, to begin with. If we have a proper view of marriage to begin with, as he says in, in, in Matthew 19, that it's you leave your, your mother and your father and you cleave to your wife or your husband, and that's, that's a commitment that no man shall separate. Well, boy, that, that kind of sets the boundaries there. So you might ask yourself, well, then is, is divorce ever an option? Well, obviously it's a reality in our life. It's touched the lives of many of us in different ways. But it doesn't make it right. You know, it's something that God is not pleased with, ever. And that's that's hard sometimes to hear, but that's the truth. Now, does that mean that <coughs> that he doesn't... Give grace where grace is needed in those situations? He definitely does. But is divorce the ideal? Obviously not. And it's almost we live in a society where it has made divorce just another option. You know, it's just, well, you know, you don't like your wife anymore or we don't find her attractive. Well, just go find a new one. <laughs> you know, just trade her in. They even joke about, it. I'm going to trade you in, honey. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad to say. I mean, that's, there's some humor there, but the sad thing is, is, most people sincerely think that way. And they think that somehow by you know, either adding children to their marriage or to their family or somehow adding a, a new wife or a new husband, somehow they're going to find this happiness they're looking for and, and it never works. It's always evasive and it's always elusive. And so they're, they're looking for happiness and they're looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places, you might say. And so you have folks today that get married and they're <coughs> you put more into the day of the wedding than you do thinking about how are we going to survive the rest of our lives with each other? I mean, there's even shows on TV. I don't know if you've seen some of these shows, these realities or whatever they're called. I don't know. But I mean, these people are insane. I mean, they, there, there was one couple that <coughs> the guy was going to, I don't know, what, he owned a restaurant or something, very wealthy individual, obviously. And they were going to get married, and they're, it's basically like a wedding planning show. And uh, she's going, well, I want all these flowers everywhere. And this poor guy kept on inviting people to the wedding. It started out with 450, and it ended up like two weeks, a week and a half before the wedding, almost a 1,000 people at this wedding. And it was just incredible. And and he he, they went in and she said, "Well, I want fresh flowers, this kind of color, whatever." And the florist is going, "Well, you know, I'm going to have to get those from, you know, Peru or whatever." She goes, "Oh, I don't care." He goes, "But you're talking like five hundred thousand dollars worth of flowers, honey. Is that okay?" No lie, (laughs) sure, go ahead. And they put all this money, I mean millions of dollars, into these couple hours. I mean, they had lobster and fillet and all this stuff for the people. They had two bands that cost twenty thousand dollars a piece to come play at the at the uh, rehearsal they were at the uh, party afterwards. I mean, it was just amazing and i I wanted to say boy i 'd like to follow these people <coughs> and see how they are faring today because obviously all that they were concerned with was what that day was going to be like they didn 't put any thought into how to get through living the next twenty some years together as a couple, and that's kind of where we're at today. That's just what happens. That's why you know, as a church, we wholeheartedly believe in, in you know premarital counseling and get some get some you know wise input on that and 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 know the direction you're going to go on go in before you go. And I think that it's so important to do that. Um, And you learn a lot. You grow a lot through that. But so many times we're so busy planning the wedding, we forget about those things. And, you know, a lot of pastors usually, they'll they'll marry anybody. So it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll do the marital counseling. We can do it in two weeks or whatever. And I just go, whoa. You know, I mean, my wife and I, I don't know, she'd probably correct me, but I would say it was probably going on 15, 16 weeks of premarital counseling we went through. I mean, seriously, that's what we did. We did it at Lost Goddess Christian Church. I remember this couple, and, you know, we had a lot of issues anyway to work through. But I, I remember going there, and and by the third time, we're sitting down with this couple. And most of you know I'm not real affectionate that way, outwardly and things. And, and I remember sitting down with this couple, and we're going through some marriage, pre-marriage book. And we're sitting there, and the lady, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to to do the study you know they're, they're going to talk us to this study and i'm getting ready she's going to start and she goes well before we go anywhere you know i, I just think that we've concluded that the two of you well, is not going to work out and i remember sitting there going what you know and here i am i'm a youth pastor and kind of in some training in this counseling things and i'm thinking who are you you know in my heart to tell me that you know and i just remember sitting there going what and uh he goes well you know, and her husband kind of spoke up and said, well, you know, Steve, we watched you the last couple of weeks. We, we just don't think you're interested in this, this woman. So what do you mean I'm not interested in her? You know, I'm here, aren't I? And well, you know, just the way, you know, in church, when you're in church, you know, I mean, we've never seen you put your, your arm around her. I said, yeah, we're in church. You know, and I just, I'm trying to explain, that's my personality and all this stuff. And so I remember her saying, well, that personality has to, has to change if you want your wife to, to know that she's loved. You can't begin a marriage just being cold and hands under the arm, like I'm never going to hug you kind of a thing. That's not going to work because your wife's just the opposite. You know, As a matter of fact, we saw last week she went to put her arm around you after the counseling session and you moved away from her in church. I said, well, yeah, I don't feel kind He goes, well, that's got to change. And I'll never forget... It was before services. We went to the evening service at Las Gadas Christian Church Sunday nights. In church that night, the couple sitting behind us several rows. I know they were back there watching us. And there I am sitting in the pew with my wife, sweating bullets. Just because it's not in my personality to be affectionate with, with other people around. Thinking, okay, how do I do this? You know, can I do the arm thing? <laughs> you know, just not feeling good about this. But I did it. You know, and it meant so much to my wife. And on the way home, she said, you know, I know that was really hard for you to do that. But, you know, I really appreciate it. I don't expect it all the time or whatever. But, you know, it was early on that that kind of commitment is, I think, both of us made to each other and to God that said, you know what, whatever it takes, we're, we're committed to this marriage. And see, today, unfortunately, in a lot of relationships and things like that, it just doesn't happen that way. People aren't committed. They don't understand um, what that commitment means. And so, first of all, we have to understand that before we can understand this idea of divorce and remarriage and all this, we have to begin with the idea that, you know what, marriage is something that is ordained by God. And he ordained it, you know, from the the very beginning. I mean, and it's it's, it's something that, it's his ideal. And he, he gave it to us, and, and, and we're to be committed to it if we enter into it. It's not something that we can just take casually. And, you know, and, and I want to also say, for, for those who've gone through divorce, and you understand more than anybody, the the harm that is done, whether you were on the right end of the deal or the, the wrong end of the deal, it's irrelevant. The harm to children, the harm to people around you, to loved ones, all that, it's just it's just incredible. And it's like, almost like Satan sat down one day and said, how can I destroy God's ideal for the family? Well, I'll just kind of bring marriage down a couple notches on most people's ladder to where it's just kind of disposable. And you see it. I mean, you see it in Hollywood. You know, oh, so-and-so is getting divorced. Oh, they were married. How long were they married? Oh, two years, 18 months, whatever it was. And, you know, within a couple months, they're married to somebody else. And they're having a child with somebody else, and then they're getting divorced from them. And it's just this rampant thing in our society. And it was the same thing back then, in a, in a different way, but it really was. It was that, that casual of a, of a way they looked at it. And so he said basically that, you know what? In verse 31 he says, it has been said, and he states it rightly, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's true. That's what the law said. But, he says, I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries such a woman who is divorced in that situation. You know. And In and, and the Bible, in our society, there's basically four views that you look at divorce. Well, it's, there's two extreme views. You never get divorced, ever, ever. You can never get divorced. It's never a right thing to do. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't matter. The other view, extreme view, is, well, it's, it's okay. It doesn't matter. That's kind of totally the world's view. It's You just dispose of it and, and, you know, get on with it. Well, there's two views kind of in between those. There's another view that says, well, if there's... there's uh, sexual misbehavior involved in that relationship, uh, some form of adultery, something like that, illicit behavior, then, you know, it's okay to divorce the person, but you can't get remarried. That's one view. The other view is basically, given the circumstances, if it's, there's immorality involved, things like that, and you're, you're divorced, well, under certain circumstances, you can be remarried. And Scripture speaks to those. And that's kind of what we're going to get into back when we get toward Matthew 19. But what Jesus, I think, intends here in Matthew 5, more than, you know, kind of getting into all this divorce and remarriage stuff, I think one thing he wants them to clearly understand is that when you take an oath, it should be your word, your word before God. And so he goes on from the divorce aspect of it here in verses 31 to 32. And he begins to talk about how they made oaths. And he says in verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. Now, once again, back then, they would kind of just, you know, swear by anything. They didn't really, really care. And so he kind of walks through here what they should not swear by. And he says, Do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And you shouldn't swear by your head, you shouldn't, because uh, you can't make one hair white or black. I'm sure some of us wish we had hair to make white or black, but. If you have white or black hair, you can't, you, know, you can't just sit there and wish it. You can buy the stuff at the store that does a pretty good job sometimes. But for the most part, you, know, you can't just wish that thing. And in verse 37 he says, But let your yes be yes and your no be no. See, over the centuries, a whole system of these distinctions had developed in Judaism in which the vow or the oath was binding only to the degree to which it was related to God's name somehow. So, you know, if you just said, yeah, I'll come over, I promise. Well, who cares? That's, that doesn't mean anything. But if you swore by heaven, you swore by earth, still wasn't permanently binding, but it was a little kind of notch up on the, the ladder. But if you, if you swore by Jerusalem, all right, well, that was, that was a pretty big deal. That was a binding oath, okay, because they just that's how it worked. And so people would make these evasive oaths so that somehow they could wiggle out of them later. And sometimes I think that that's how people approach marriage sometimes. They look at the marriage commitment and they fail to, to understand that, you know, this is for good or bad, for healthy, unhealthy, you know, to death do you part. This is a long-term commitment. And so he wants us to understand that. And I think that, you know, we don't have to go back too far in our, our political history as a country, to remember the the, uh, the pictures of, of Bill Clinton on the uh, the TV screen saying, well, it depends what your definition of is is. You remember that? And everybody thought, what is he talking about? Did you do it or you didn't? You know, that's all I want to know. Don't start dicing up the, the language for us. And everybody probably remembers him addressing the nation, admitting that even though his statements were legally accurate... He went on and he said some were probably misleading. See, Jesus is really challenging us, I think, in this context here to make our commitments, to make our vows with some form of integrity Uh, and to remember that we're accountable not only to one another when we do that, but we're also accountable to God. And it's before God that you make that solemn vow. It's before God that you promise to, to repay this or promise to do this or promise to do that. And so he he wants to challenge us in this area. And sometimes that's a hard thing to follow through with. Sometimes it's it's a struggle to follow up on commitments you've made. We all have been there. We've all kind of probably failed in that area at one point or another in our lives. And I think one thing that we need to do, and kind of just three quick things here to share with you as far as to to, to help you maybe... Keep your oaths and your commitments a little more. First of all, stop looking for loopholes. So many times when we make a commitment to something, we're kind of figuring out the commitment, and then we're we're saying, okay, now, I didn't really say this, so I guess I could... And automatically, we're looking for a loophole somewhere. And see, and that's what he was taking away from them when he talked about divorce here and he talked about oaths. He said Jesus was basically saying, look, your word is your word. You're accountable before God for your word. You're accountable before others for your word. And, and it is what it is. So don't try to wiggle out of it. Don't try to, um, you know, say, well, you know, yeah, I did marry this person, but now I I just don't love her anymore, and whatever the reason may be. So I'm just going to kind of fudge on my commitment that I made in front of Maybe hundreds of people one day and before the Lord and all this stuff, and now I'm just going to go give her a certificate of divorce because that's what the law says that I could do. We need to stop that and we need to stay, you know what? What does God want us to do? What does God want us to uphold as far as our oaths? You know, if we look hard enough, we can find a loophole in anything, can't we? We really can. A um, little illustration a guy went to a psychiatrist. And he said, Doctor, I'm falling apart. I think I'm losing my mind. Um, I'm hearing these strange voices. and I'm just certain I'm going to go crazy. I just need a lot of help. And you've got to help me. In fact, if you can help me get my head together, I'll write you a check for $50,000. If you just help me get my head together, I'll write you a check for $50,000. And the psychiatrist obviously kind of tuned in at that point and said, hey, I think I can help you. And the man began some, he began some intensive psychotherapy with this, this gentleman. And sure enough, in less than a month, this guy was feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. Emotionally strong. And one day he came to the session with the psychiatrist. And he said, Doctor, i, I got to hand it to you. You fixed me. Uh, I'm not hearing these voices anymore. And, uh, you know, I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I mean, it's just like I'm a whole new person. And the doctor turned to him and said, you know, I'm really glad to hear that. And uh, I I knew I could do that. Now, let's talk about uh, when you're going to pay me the $50,000 that you promised. And the man turned to the doctor and said, well, if I were really willing to pay you $50,000 for a few weeks of therapy, that can only prove two things. First of all, I'm still crazy. And secondly, you haven't cured me. Now, see, this guy promised something that he did not fulfill. Okay? He found a loophole. He allowed a loophole, and he seized it. And sometimes when we make our commitments, we look for a loophole. And we're, we're making the commitment, but we're looking for a way out at the same time. And Jesus says, you know what? There are no loopholes. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. If you're going to get married, then get married. But you know, don't don't be thinking. Okay, well, how long can I hang in here? Um, you know, I mean, my wife and I have committed to life, you know, together. So that means we we uh, kill each other in the in the meantime. That's fine. <laughs> you know, till death do his part. Literally, you know. Sometimes it feels that way. But you know, but that's the commitment that you have to have. You really do. Uh, in, in Ecclesiastes. Solomon said when you make a vow to God do not delay in fulfilling it he has no pleasure in fools fulfill your vow fulfill your vow it's not talking necessarily about finances it's talking about promises just whatever you promise the Lord you know follow through with it and and don't be so naive to think well he forgot or you know yeah I did make this oath or I did do this or I did you know promise this to somebody but I'm sure they forgot by now well God hasn't forgotten And hopefully we won't forget either. And so Jesus is saying here, you can't just pull Scripture out of context and justifiably divorce your wife for any reason. That's what he's saying. And it also applies to our business, our finances, other areas of our life. We're not to look for loopholes out of a situation. We're to keep ourselves obligated to the promise that we made. Now, secondly, I think, what he has to say here for us is that we need to realize that we have to live with the promise we've made or the commitment we made and we need to live up to it. When we make a promise to somebody, we need to carry it out. If that's in marriage, that's fine. If it's financial, whatever it might be. We need to make sure that that we are before God during what we promised to do, no matter how long it may take. And I think that that's so so important. I remember hearing about uh, uh, Lou Holtz, when back in 1999, when he was hired by uh, South Carolina, they hired him to be their new head coach. And in the fr- in the first season, he went 0 and 11 as the new head coach, not too well. And in their second season, he was 7 and 4. And at the end of the the second season, they went to a bowl game for the first time in many years. And at the end of that year, a reporter asked uh, Mr. Holtz, they said, in light of your outstanding success in your second year, uh, I'm sure you're demanding a new contract. Because, you know, I mean, you just did so well. You turned everything around. Obviously, you're not going to just be settled with getting paid the same amount. And he said this, no, I'm not. Last year, we went 0 and 11. They didn't ask me to work for less money, why should I expect them to pay me more for just doing the job that I was hired to do in the first place? See, he could have came up with a lot of good reasons why they could have paid him more because the season was increasing, but he didn't. He stuck to his word. In, in Psalm 15.4, David says this. says, A righteous man keeps his oath even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. And many of us have been in situations where we promise more than what we can Give out in different situations. And you know what? That's where you've got to ask God for the grace to to make it work. And He'll he'll do that for you. And the third thing I just want to leave you with quickly is instead of just kind of going out there and, and promising people things, wherever it may be, whether it's in a relationship or whether it's in a business or whatever, avoid making careless promises in the first place. Do your homework. You know, Solomon said in in Ecclesiastes 5.5, it's better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. And I think that that's so important that we understand that. Because God wants us to to fulfill our vows, whatever they may be. If it's in marriage life, if it's in business life, if it's in our personal finances, whatever it might be. He wants us to live up to everything that we've we've promised to do and to be. Um, And so... What Jesus is saying here in these verses is is not so much, he's not going to go into all the details of divorce and remarriage and all this. I think the the bigger scope here is, you know what? When you promise something, when you make an oath, keep it before God and before others. And I think that he he really will honor that. As we honor our vows, he will honor to bless us. Now, you know, divorce is 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 a thing that's touched people's lives and it's usually in a negative way okay i've never heard somebody even though they may have wanted to get it away from somebody who's gone through a divorce and said man i can't wait for the next divorce i just can't wait to get divorced again it's so much fun you know it's just not something that you go through that's it's a fun uh situation but see i really believe that this is where god's grace and his mercy come in because i'll tell you firsthand The church has a real problem with looking at people in a legalistic way. And I think even back then they did this. And that's why he said what he said there. But today we we have this stigma that if, if someone has gone through a divorce, that there's some kind of a blight on their life. That there's something... You know, on their life that well, God could never use them again, or whatever. And you can go on and on and carry that onto the you know extreme. There, um, that's not what God's word says. God says that divorce is a reality. Does it please God? It never pleases God, ever. That's that's what the word says. You can't beat around that bush. But is it a reality? Yes. Does God give us the grace to deal with it? Definitely. Definitely. And I think that sometimes. We have to remember that when people have, have dealt with this in their own personal lives, they've gone through something that's usually very traumatic, that's, that's probably touched their soul and their heart so deep that their scar's there forever. And, and I think that we need to be gracious when dealing with that, because it's not, you know, uh, this, this sin that's above every other sin. That's not how God views it. It's a reality, and we have to deal with it. And sometimes, you know, we have to look at that and go, all right, is this, is this the right avenue to go down? It's never the right avenue to go down. doesn't matter what the situation is. But does it happen? Yes, it happens. And we need to ask God for his grace to deal with it. And so when we make our commitments, whether it's in marriage or whether it's in business or whatever, um, allow your word to be your word. Um, Allow God to, to take you at your word. You know, it's, it's funny because sometimes, you know, you you'll you be telling a story and somebody say, no way, really? Yeah, I swear, you know, or yeah, I'm telling the truth. You know, I say that to my wife sometimes. She goes, what, are you always lying the other times? It's like, no, but, you know, you're trying to make a point, and then, you know, so it's, it's kind of like, wow, but that's true. And that's what it means here. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't need to, you know, strengthen that with anything else if you have an underlying character there. Um, and, and that's what I think he's trying to get across to us uh, here this morning. Um, let's close in a word of prayer and uh, ask God to uh, bless the rest of our day. Father, we thank you this morning. Father, we we, we pray this morning that your word uh, is probably disjointed and uh, uh, maybe unintelligible that it came out. Lord, I pray that you would um, bless it, and uh, Lord, I thank you for your grace in getting us through the service this morning. Lord, I pray that for those who are here today that have uh, walked down that road of divorce and, and remarriage and and uh, had to deal with it firsthand. Lord, I pray that they would know that this is not a judgment upon them. It's, it's not, we don't stand in judgment of them in, in any way, Lord. Um, and Father, we know that it's a horrible thing to go through, and, and God, it's only by your grace that uh, they can get through it. And Lord, sometimes some of these things happen earlier in our lives and before we were even Christians. And, and Lord, we thank you that when we come to Christ, Your word says that in Christ, all things are made new. Old things are passed away. Behold, all all things are made new. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for that promise. And Father, we we pray for those here this morning who may have um, experienced that in some way. And Lord, I pray that you would um, give them the grace to continue and and continue to uh, bless their lives as they seek to serve you and to minister for you. And Lord, we also pray for each one here. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has yet to put their faith, their trust in you. Lord, the first oath that we should ever make is an oath to you to uh, commit our lives to you for the forgiveness of our sins, to to put our trust in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would um, speak that truth to the hearts that are here. Lord, we know that We've all sinned. We've all fall short of your glory. There's none righteous. No, not one. And Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here who's yet to cry out to you, I pray that they would ask you for your mercy, your grace, to come into their life and to cover their sin through the blood of Christ. Lord, we thank you for this morning. And we do pray that you would just bless us as we're dismissed with a song. And we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.